We've been through 12 chapters of Hebrews. Do you know that? It has gone so fast. <laughs> 12 chapters, which leads us to the final chapter. It's chapter 13. You could find your way there. Uh, I never thought we'd get there, but there we are. Can I tell you something about the first 12? They're heavy, deep. Theology, doctrine. And chapter 13 is entirely different. The first 12 chapters, theology, teaching. The 13th chapter, now do something about it. And that is the way of the New Testament. First it tells us what's true. Then it tells us what we are to do about what's true. In other words, we are to be hearers, for sure, but that's not enough. Have to be hearers and doers. So the pattern of New Testament books is doctrine first, followed by application. Another way to put it, right thinking, followed by right living. If all you have is right thinking, you may be arrogant. But you need right thinking to make sure that what you're doing is right. And so that's the pattern of the New Testament. So we've seen 12 chapters about doctrine and about what's true, and now we're being called to response all through chapter 13. It contains a number of things to do. So first we ask, when you study the Bible, first we ask, this ought to be obvious, but I guess it isn't that obvious, what does it say? That's what you have to ask first. And then second, you say, and now what am I to do in light of what it says? Some people jump over the first phase a little too quickly and rush to application, and sometimes the application is not exactly accurate because it's not in the context of what the Scriptures say. So this is kind of important. It protects us, don't you see? So the first 12 chapters have told us of what is true. Chapter 13, now it says action, action, action. Not just information, not just information, transformation. That's the goal of the Christian lot. Be informed so as to be transformed. So that's what's happened. Now before we get to the first verse of chapter 13, I want to show you specifically what is the truth that is meant to drive the application uh, of chapter 13. So back up with me just for a second, say to verse 26 of chapter 12. Verse 26 of 12. And his voice, the Lord's, shook the earth. Then, that was Mount Sinai. The Lord, Mount Sinai is really high. I don't care how high it is. The Lord who is much higher has to come down. All the stuff about us uh, is still beneath the majesty of God. He has to come down. So he came down to Mount Sinai, and he spoke, and the mountain shook. But now, the text says, he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake, look at this, not only the earth, but also the heaven. Someone said, what we can anticipate is not only an earthquake, but a heaven quake in a day to come. And verse 27, this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Folks, this shaking of the earth, yet once more, and the heaven is a reference uh, to the Lord Jesus returning to judge. And 
This takes place in the future. And his judgment involves the shaking or the destruction of created things. Why? The text says. So that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. What are those things which cannot be shaken? Well, they're not earthly. They're not temporary. They're not physical. They're not material realities of this life and of this world. No, all those things can be shaken and in fact will be so as to reveal what is of eternal value, things, it says, which cannot be shaken. Unshakable realities. A kingdom which cannot be shaken ruled by a king who is without corruption and sin, the King of kings, the Lord Jesus. Things eternal, things spiritual cannot be shaken. All else can and will be. Verse 28, therefore, since we Christians receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Folks, you got to chew on that one. Every kingdom of the world has something in common. It passes. That's the nature of human history. Kings and kingdoms, they will all pass away. Do you remember that song? It was a, well, it was an older song. Uh, I won't tell you how old, but anyway. Who sang that? Was it Doug Oldham or the Gaithers? Remember the Gaithers? Anyway, kings and kingdoms, feel free to sing along. May all, never mind. Folks, that's the nature of human history. Where's the Roman Empire? Where are the Assyrians? Where are the Babylonians? Where would it happen? It all happens this way. But we've received a kingdom that is not characterized by replacement. It's a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which is unshakable, we have to do something. Show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service. Here's the application. The truth is, there was a kingdom, there was a time when the earth shook, there will come a time when it and even the heavens will shake again, but don't worry, you, a Christian, receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Okay, that's true. Now here's what you do. Show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service, how? With reverence and awe. Why? For our God, don't forget, is a consuming fire. So after all that is laid out, now we're introduced to chapter 13, blatantly practical, not tricky, not deep. Do it. Just do this. Here it is, chapter 13, verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, we've already received it. We don't do the things of chapter 13 to gain membership in an unshakable kingdom. No, because we already have, by faith, membership in an unshakable kingdom. Therefore, show gratitude. How, God? Here, let love of the brethren continue. That is like the title, the overarching title of all of chapter 13. This is it. Let love of the brethren... Why? Do you know if you are one who has received an unshakable kingdom by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, an unshakable king, 
uh, you're part of a family of others who have also. And that unshakable kingdom has been given by a very gracious heavenly father. We refer to him as our father, which implies we are his family, his sons and daughters, which means you have brothers and sisters the minute you accept by faith the merits of the unshakable king, gain entrance into the unshakable kingdom, it's not just you. It's a whole family. And surely you want to say, thank you, God, for putting me into this magnificent family, which lasts forever, citizens of heaven. Thank you, God, for doing that. And therefore, by way of gratitude, you want to, don't you? Don't you want to let love of the brethren continue. You know, that implies that love for other believers began, but now needs to continue. How did love for other Christians begin? Well, you didn't start it. You didn't love them at all. The unshakable king uh, birthed in you as part of the fruit of him being in you a love for those who believe in him as well. There was an affection and affinity for the people of God, which you, before you were a people of God, had. And you had it. He birthed in you love for like-minded fellow believers. He started it, but now he says, but you have to continue it. Let love, the love of the brethren, which I generated in you, which I birthed in you, which is out of this world. It doesn't come from you. You didn't have that love for other Christians previously. You do now, but now you have to cultivate it. You have to continue it. That is your responsibility. Do you show gratitude to me for the unshakable kingdom which I have given you? If so, then let love for the brethren continue. That's, that's what it says. Let it be sustained. Now, the fact that God says that to us implies that it may not. That, that what he began, that what he engendered in our lives, an affection for one another, could wane and diminish. How? Stress does it. You know that? Stress and, stress and distress really does it. Uh, uh, they, these people who were being addressed here in the first century, ooh, they were under a lot of distress. They were being persecuted for the faith. You know how it is when things get hard. Think about this. Is this not true of you? When things get rough for you, one way or the other, either because you're a Christian or just because you live life, financial pressures, marital issues, children issues, health issues, who knows what, don't you find yourself a little distracted from all things and maybe a little irritable, a little moody, a little cold, a little separated, a little distant, a little unloving. Don't want you to feel bad. That's all of us. That's why we need this practical application. No, says the writer. You must let love of the brethren continue in spite of your circumstances because things are being, though things are being shaken up, you're all citizens of an unshakable kingdom. Somehow, you have to lay hold of that, even in the midst of the unsettledness of life. Somehow, you cannot let that be your focus. You cannot let that extinguish the fire of love, which God birthed in us through his spirit. Somehow, you have to sustain brotherly love. You can't let life's circumstances extinguish the fire. Therefore, the command, 
to continue loving the brethren. Now, what does this consist of? Well, I think to put it simply, it means not just coming to church to seek a blessing, but to be a blessing. Not just coming to church to seek a blessing, but to seek opportunities to use your blessings to bless the other brothers and sisters. You see it? You see it? Look, I don't want to be unduly hard because I'm just a human. But when someone drops at a church because <clears throat> um, uh, um, you, so you missed my birthday, uh, you didn't say hello, you didn't sing my favorite song, you, uh, I was out of your class for three weeks and nobody called me, you have a right to be disturbed. Don't misunderstand. But I'm not sure you should take it so far as to depart from the brethren, because if you do, you're telling something about you, and what you're saying is, I'm pretty self-involved. I've come to that place to be blessed. You ought to. That's part of it. But that's not the whole part of it. The real thing is, I came to that place to be a blessing. So if on a given Sunday I didn't receive a blessing, so what? I can still be a blessing. Folks, we got to grow up. Why? Not to win God's favor. We already have it. That's the point. Not only do we have God's favor, we have irreversible membership in an unshakable kingdom. Are you kidding me? There's nothing secure in today's life. Do you know that? Except those things which are unshakable, eternal realities. Since we have that, we could stop being so self-centered and we can focus on the brethren who are around us. See the phrase love for the brethren or brotherly love? Do you know in Greek it's one word? Can you guess what it is? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That's the one word, love for the brethren. I don't know how much love there is there, but there's supposed to be a whole lot of love in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It simply means, you know what it means? Treating fellow believers as family members. But, 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 but get this. It doesn't mean a treating fellow believers as if they are like family members. No, 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 no. It means showing love to fellow believers because they are family members. Don't you see the family language in the Bible? Our Father who art in heaven. Then he says, you are my little children. And then we refer to each other as brothers. And These are family terms. This is how we are to treat one another. Do you know when this was written, the word uh, brother had a very restricted use. It was a reference to those who were your physical family of origin members. That was, that was your brother. Or... A little beyond that, those who, were, who shared your ethnicity, the term brother would be used of someone who shared your ethnicity. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying under inspiration? Oh, no. Now you, who have inherited an unshakable kingdom, you are to look to, a perceive of, refer to other Christians as brothers in spite of there being no biological tie and in spite of the fact that they may represent a different ethnicity. That's a challenge for us because like we gravitate towards 
towards people who are like us. You know what I mean? But in the family of God, the diversity uh, of those who are members really glorifies him. Really, really glorifies him. Roy, am I your brother? But we don't look anything alike. Nothing. I don't think, do you like gefilte fish? Yeah. Roy, you don't even know what gefilte fish is. Don't be playing with me. And let me tell you this. I don't like some of your food either. Well, maybe that's not true, but it's an illustration. <laughs> Folks, fo- we, 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 there, is no, there is no institution on earth that is getting this figured out. How to overcome racial, ethnic differences and find a tie that binds. But we must. We can. We ought to because we have the same father. We're members of the same unshakable kingdom. We can't restrict our family affinity to those who are like us, same skin color and all the rest, same language group. No, no, no. It has to be to all those red and yellow, black and white, who are precious in his sight and who have inherited an unshakable kingdom. And if we don't get that scoped out, we mar our testimony like crazy. So it says, continue love of the brethren. The group to whom this was written were Hebrews, Hebrew believers, and because they were believers in Jesus the Messiah, many suffered rejection from their families, and yet they discovered that though that hurt, the deepest kind of fellowship was not based on their Jewishness, their race, their family relationship. It was based on the life they had together in Christ Jesus. Have you found that? When I became a Christian, I had relatives who had a funeral for me. They visited uh, important rabbis who said uh, people like me are called meshumadim, traitors, no longer to be considered as even being alive. And so they actually had a mock funeral uh, for me and my mother and those of us who became, who became Christians. If you think that didn't hurt, if you think being ostracized from my own culture, my own group, my own family, if you think that didn't hurt, come on. But let me tell you something. To be part of this family is worth it all. I would rather be part of this family on their way to an unshakable kingdom than just be comfortable with my own ethnicity. You too, you would do the same thing. My family, I love them, but they cannot offer me entree into an unshakable kingdom. But you and I are getting there through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the tie that binds. So I can tolerate the fact that you don't like a filter fish. <laughs> Petty stuff for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, you see? So anyway... That's the overarching application of the first 12 chapters. Let love of the brethren continue. And now, in answer to the question, how specifically do we apply that, is given verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Um, Now, folks, I told you earlier... um, that first you have to determine what does the Bible say before you run off and determine what you are to do. This is an example of that. This is not an exhortation to show hospitality to strangers at large. Absolutely not. 
Remember the context. The context is a letter of exhortation written to believers at a time of persecution. And what this is saying is, you fellow believers must show hospitality to other believers who you don't know. Strangers to you, because they may speak another language, have a different skin color, even have some theology that's a little different than yours. But you're still members of an unshakable kingdom. And this exhortation is so important in this day. You must open up your hearts and home, homes to others, even though they're strange to you. They eat different foods. They do different things. They come from a different culture. But if they have the Lord Jesus in common, you must extend hospitality to them. Why? Because who else will? Listen, they're traveling either for ministry or because they're under persecution. They get booted out of their homes. Where are they going to go? And so they're traveling around. And this was in a day when the church met in homes. Therefore, to take someone into your home was to take them into your local church. If you didn't do it, they'd have to stay at the inn. But there's a problem. There weren't inns all over the place. And then where there were inns, they were expensive, and a lot of these persecuted believers had no money. They lost their jobs and income. And not only that, the inns were notoriously immoral. You would cause a fellow brother or sister to stumble, to put them up in some flea bag one-nighter kind of a place with all kinds of temptation. Open up your home to them. That's the, that's the exit. How do you, oh God, how do I show love to the brethren? Extend helps, material helps, provide a safe place, let them stay under your roof when they provide facilities when they're traveling about. And that is really good for them, but oh, it's not one-sided. It may be a blessing to you too. Look, by this, some have entertained angels. Didn't even know it. Oh my goodness. That is probably a reference to Genesis 18 and 19. Remember three persons visited Abraham, one said, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Remember this? Two of them then went down, Genesis 19, to see Lot. Abraham extended hospitality to them. Lot extended hospitality to them. It turned out they were angels. So what does this mean? The motive for hospitality ought to be to see if we can identify and find an angel. Wouldn't that be cool? No, that's not the goal at all. The point is... When you open up what you have to bless other believers, you have no idea what blessing God has in store for you. That's the, listen to me. One of the things I was intent on doing when my boys were young is expose them to missionaries. How? Open up the home to missionaries. Provide a meal, a bed, and just say, tell us about your mission field. And I'd have these three little kids, whether they liked it or not, listening to what it's like to be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we, uh, we blessed the missionary, I hope, but I know the missionary blessed us. You see, that's what it's getting at. Now listen, you've got to be careful. Sanctified common sense. In the first century, there was a guideline written by church leaders. It's called the didache, the teaching to Christians, outside of the Bible, guidelines, policies for doing church. It's quite instructive. And in it, the leaders of that early church warned other members, be careful who you open your home to. Because a lot of charlatans were exploiting 
the graciousness of Christians masquerading as Christians and then stealing from them or hurting them. So can I just exhort you, when you do these things, exercise what I'd like to call sanctified common sense. There's no virtue in you exposing your family to danger. So be very, very careful. I hear some horror stories about people opening up their homes to ne'er-do-wells. People, you shouldn't do that. You've got to kind of check them out a little bit. So, okay, be careful. Be careful about this. The principle still remains, but it has to be bounded by sanctified common sense. All right. Now, there's another way in which we can show love to the brethren. It's in verse 3. Here it is. Remember the prisoners. Once again, context rules. Remember the prisoners. I'm all for prison ministry. Don't get me wrong. This is not talking about that. This is talking about fellow believers imprisoned, not for breaking the law, but for believing in Jesus Christ. Remember them. Well, why don't we have to be exhorted to remember them? Because we forget them. How do we forget them? Out of sight, out of mind. Remember them, fellow believers imprisoned. And what does that mean? Remember to pray for them. Remember to visit them. Remember to provide for them. What do you mean provide for them? Doesn't the prison system provide? Not in this day. No food. No blankets. They were mostly rejected by their own family members. If it isn't the Christian family who would provide for the needs and care of imprisoned fellow Christian family members, they would not survive. So it was critical. Remember how? Well, as though in prison with them. Empathize. Get connected. Get in touch. Narrow the distance between you out of prison and them in prison. Pray for them. Visit them. Provide for them. Not only them. Also for those who are ill-treated. Listen. You may not, I may not know by name a Christian currently imprisoned for the faith. But I do know, you do, many who are ill-treated for the faith. Can I read you an example? I just read this two days ago. A shocker. It occurred at Florida Atlantic University. That's in the United States, right? Florida Atlantic University. A professor there made his students... Write the name Jesus on a piece of paper and then trample on it as part of a, quote, lesson in debating. Not the name of Mohammed, the name of Jesus, as part of a lesson in debating. Well, one student, I don't know if this student was a Christian or not. I don't know. One student refused to participate and was suspended from Florida Atlantic University. Though I don't know if the student was a Christian, truly born again, I do know that refusing to disrespect the name of Jesus caused that student to be ill-treated. One of the university administrators in response said, as with any academic lesson, the exercise was meant to encourage students to view issues from many perspectives in direct relation with the course objectives. That was said by Noemi Marin, university's director of the School of Communication and Multimedia. This is a statement she made to Fox News. It continues, while at times the topics discussed may be sensitive, a university environment is a venue for such dialogue and debate. 
stamping on Jesus' name is actually an entire lesson which is included in the textbook for the class called Intercultural Communication, a Contextual Approach, 5th Edition. There's a textbook that says this. Have the students write the name Jesus in big letters on a piece of paper. Ask the students to stand up, put the paper on the floor in front of them with the name facing up, then ask the students to think about it for a moment. After a brief period of silence, instruct them to step on the paper. Most will hesitate. Ask why they can't step on the paper. Discuss the importance of symbols in culture. Come on! Are you kidding me? That student was ill-treated, thrown out of the school for refusing to step on the name of Jesus. The whole Islamic world would, would, would stage an intifada if you put Allah or Muhammad's name on that. Why didn't the textbook do that? Why Jesus? No other name, Billy. There's power in the name of Jesus. Now listen, that student wasn't imprisoned, but that student was ill-treated. You know, don't you see? That's the kind of student we have to align ourselves with, empathize with, identify with, pray for, and encourage. Why? Since you yourselves also are in the body. That's what it says. We're connected. Hey, listen, I've got to tell you something. That is not a reference to being in the body of Christ. See where it says in the body? See the the body? The? The the is not there in the Greek. It just reads, since you yourselves are in body. You know what that means? Your physical body can be dragged into jail just as easily one day for believing in Jesus. You can lose your job just as easily one day for believing in Jesus. You can be dragged into a court of law just as easily one day for preaching the truths of the Bible. Don't you see? Since you yourselves are part, for now, present in this shakable kingdom, you can be shaken up too. Therefore, empathize with those who presently are. Now, I must confess to you something. I don't know many persecuted Christians. I live in Houston. I just, I don't live in places where there, where, where, where there isn't freedom to be a, to be a Christian. I am not penalized much at all for being a Christian. I'm not really persecuted in, at all for being a Christian, so I don't know many. So I got to get more in touch. Maybe you do too. So before we depart, I want to give you the names of some resources that might help you get in touch. But before, could I just invite you to view a video produced by one of the resource organizations I'll tell you about in just a second, just to give you an idea of the information that's out there. Please give your attention to this video. So there are ways to find out what's... See, here's the deal. It seems to me that what God does at, at various times is allow some of his people to undergo persecution while others are experiencing freedom and peace. Uh, so that those who are experiencing freedom and peace at the time could extend themselves to those who are not. That's the, way, that's the way it is. At present, we are experiencing a relatively high degree of freedom and peace as worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to whom much is given, much is required. It seems to me we have a bit of a responsibility, therefore, to figure out how we can align ourselves with persecuted family members worldwide. So I want to offer for you just two sources of information. Uh, they will appear on the screen before you on this slide. Two very, very fine organizations. And you could take down 
the website if you'd like. One is uh, Open Doors uh, International, and they produced the world watch list that you just saw. And the other is Voice of the Martyrs. And I went to it, and you could see faces and people and names and find out how to pray specifically for them, sometimes how to write. And it could be that maybe God would even call some to go on a missions trip to some of these areas, even to visit some of these who are being persecuted uh, for the faith. Why do we do it? We do not do it to earn God's pleasure or favor. We already have it through the merits of the Lord Jesus. The first 12 chapters of Hebrews have told us he's a far better way than any other way. He's a better sacrifice. He offered better blood. He has a better voice to listen to. He's a better high priest. He simply offers a better way. Have you found the better way? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. If so, you are a member irreversibly of an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Nothing can shake it. No army, no politician, no economic disaster can shake the things that are of eternal significance. You are of eternal significance. God's spirit in you is of eternal significance. Your place of promise is of eternal significance. If you are an heir to that, by God's grace, through your faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to feel compelled to show gratitude, not to fear God in this sense, but to respect God by saying, thank you, O God. Now let me invest my time, my money, my resources, so as to do the specific thing you said, let love of the brethren continue, even the brethren who are not like you, even the brethren you do not name, know by name, they're strangers, especially, especially connect yourself with those who are being ill-treated, even persecuted and imprisoned for the faith. You cannot do that unless you know who is and where they are. So these two organizations provide good resource information for us right where we are right now as Christians enjoying a fairly high degree of peace and freedom for now to extend ourselves to those who are not. Why? For you yourselves are in the body these are your brothers. These are your sisters. We're part of a grand and glorious family that stretches worldwide. One day the Lord will gather us all together. He'll bring us home. This, these first things will all be over. Until then, let us show gratitude for the fact that we have received an unshakable kingdom. Let's do so with reverence and awe. Don't forget, our God, though he be so gentle, like a lamb so gracious, is a consuming fire. We owe him our lives, folks, for he sacrificed his for us. So these are two things we could do. Lay hold of the truth. We are heirs of an unshakable kingdom and make application, the kind of application suggested in chapter 13. Lord Jesus, because the work of redemption has first been offered and accomplished, done for us by you, we no long, longer need to pay the debt of sin, for you paid it, but we owe you a debt. And now it's a debt of thanksgiving and gratitude. And to think, oh God, that we are our own is a mistake. We've been purchased and redeemed by you for your glory and for the good of other family members. We don't have to do these things, Lord Jesus, but I think you put it in us 
Out of love for you, Lord Jesus, put it within us not to be so focused on coming together to receive a blessing as much as to give a blessing. We owe it to you. We owe it to one another. We will be with each other in an unshakable kingdom. We're grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.